Naturally Manitoba. Thomas Hagen. Hi, this is Mahangel. This is Manitobaville podcast. We're talking to Thomas Hagen today. Thomas is with Naturally Manitoba. He and his wife and his young family are creating grass-fed beef on natural grasslands. Um, how do you say grasslands that haven't been broken up and turned into hay or pastures? Um, I don't know if a lot of pastures on homesteads were ever broken or seeded. Uh, a lot of the old-time ones, I think they were just sort of left, and cows and uh, and animals grazed on them. So, but very, very tiny little pieces um, of acreage. Uh, whereas Thomas has lucked into, uh, and I'll let him tell the story, of course, a big piece, a very big piece of prairie that's never been broken up. And he's uh, highly conscious of how to manage that. He's highly connected with people who understand prairie grasslands and understand um, how to how to make them the most beneficial and are always evolving and learning more and more and more about how grasslands work and how the prairies were before we came and plowed them all up. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, yeah, wow, hey? Okay, so um, we're Manitobaville, we're the podcast, and we're where it's at with uh, talking to different uh, people about different things, and we want to talk more about regenerative agriculture, sustainable or sustenance ag agriculture, where you don't have to rely on your groceries coming from the store. You can uh, do the 100-foot diet, which is your garden's just over there, and your steers are getting fatter just over there, and your chickens and your pigs and your uh, sheeps and your different, um, you know, wants for your table are right at hand, and that's important. So tell us about your story. Go to manitobaville.ca and tell us about how you're getting back into it. And, um, you know, I grew up with two big gardens and, and, uh, and meat at hand. You know, everything was put in the freezer or it was put into canning for the winter. And, um, you know, that's, it's just so different to get everything from a store. It feels so weird to buy things when... You know, not tons of trouble you can do it yourself. I mean, you know, depends how big you're going, but it depends uh, how much you want, how much of the winter and the spring and summer you want to get through on your own terms. And the world, the way the world's going, you might want to look into it. Anyway, this is a great conversation um, to understand a little bit more about that. I'm sorry, the we, we met in a place, in a, a hotel lobby, and it was, I guess, a little louder than usual, so... <laughs> This was one of the in-person uh, interviews we did, which is which is a lot of fun. I like going out and talking to people firsthand, uh, no matter where. If you can just sit down and talk to somebody, it's always nice. But um, this is pre-COVID, and I don't know if it's pre-pre. It might have just been on the beginning cusp of COVID. And um, anyway, but it was when we were still sitting down chatting with people. So if it's a little loud, just turn her down, back her off a bit. I tried to ease it back. <laughs> as much throttle down as much as I could, so uh, you know. But tractors are still loud, right? So uh, just bear that in mind as we get into the interview. And if you want to advertise with us, like you're going to hear in a second here, uh, contact us through the website manitobaville.ca, and we will hook you up with some very nice folks who make that happen. It's uh, it's amazing, and it sounds a lot like this. 
naturally Manitoba. And that's dealing with pork and beef? Yeah, so grass-fed beef, pastured pork. Uh, we're doing a raw honey this year. So, um, yeah, we're just direct marketing stuff right from the ranch to, to people. So that's our shtick. That's what we're doing. And how do you find Is there a lot of... I, I think the regulations have changed slightly on pork, but not beef. You, you take it all to abattoirs now, it's all done. It, it has to be, we take it to a provincially inspected abattoir, yeah. which the beef and the pork. Yeah. So we technically can't leave Manitoba, okay. but that's fine. Naturally, Manitoba. Yeah. Um, there's lots of people living here that we can market to. There is some crazy rules like uh, crossing borders. It's weird. You know, with products like this, well, scares it scares people in Saskatchewan. I think. I guess I yeah. don't know. Here, we here come those Manitobans with their food. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. So <laughs> we we yeah we can't go to Regina or anything like that. Yeah. But anyways, we Winnipeg's. Well, you wouldn't want to. Yeah. No, come, that's you right. Come, you can come well, east. Plus, we're naturally Manitoba, so it would be. Yeah. Yeah. They they need a naturally Saskatchewan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You teach to each their own, literally. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys are out in your own Verdon yep. area. Yeah. We're south of Verdon. We're right on the edge of the lake, uh, Oak Lake. Okay. So yeah, that's like our place literally right up against the water on the west side. How big a place you got? How big so spread? we have 3,200 acres and that's, um, it's just in one block. It's right there. 3,200 acres? Yes. And it's just that, native How grassland. many square miles is that just roughly? Uh, well, 3,200 acres is uh, five sections, right? Yeah. I'm going to okay. have to do math on my own place here. So 640 yeah. times... Yeah, so five sections. I mean, it's basically like if, if, if our place was in line, it would be one mile wide and five miles high or vice versa. Right. I mean, it's kind of a tick spread out, so it doesn't really look like a perfect... Yeah. But it is in one block, which is really unique. Right. Uh, because of the style we move our animals around. That, yeah. that lets us keep them in one herd. Do you have roads in between, like old road allowances have, or anything? Yeah, uh, we have a couple of road allowances, which I'll just graze them. Yeah. Because where we live, there's, uh, because the water's right there, there's not as many roads. There's mm -hmm. not as many square roads. Right. So I'll actually graze the road allowances. And we have a road going right through this, uh, the middle that's actually the diversion. It's the Pipestone Creek diversion. So okay. it's a lot smaller than the Portage diversion, but yeah. it just looks like a river. Yeah. So there's basically 11 quarters on one side and nine on the other. So our cattle have to cross the bridge all the time. Okay. So we have to train them. The new one's coming in, but um, it's no big deal. And so they can use that as a water source too? Well, no. no. We, we can pump out of it, but you couldn't. Uh, oh, you can't graze into it. Yeah. You, you can't. They actually have the one side fenced off just so the cattle don't uh, get right up into it. And right. the, the, so they're like feces get in the lake. Yeah. Okay. You could, again, you could pump out of it. And then the other side's a road. So, mm. um, so okay. yeah, we, we don't drink out of but it. But it's a water source anyway, at any rate. Oh yeah. Sort of, yeah, it's yeah. it's the Pipestone Creek. Yeah. So I mean it's um it's Yeah, up. it feeds Oak Lake and then there's a dam at the edge of Oak Lake and blah blah. And, oh that's nice. Yeah. So does this go back in your family? Like is it your your family's side? Well, some of it does. My dad started buying some of this land in the nineties. Um and then what happened was uh, my wife and I, we were just dating at the time. We bought our first half section, so three hundred and twenty acres. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. This is my kind of podcast, drinking a beer. <laughs> yeah. So informal. We, yeah. So we, we bought that, uh, the first 20 acres that connected to my dad's land. We bought that when I was about 21, 22. I'm 34 right now. Okay. And then some more land came up just kind of in chunks and we just kept buying it and the opportunity in our business to have a piece of land that's connected with yeah. no roads and you yes. don't have to travel yeah. is quite unique and, and people jump on it when they get the Because quite often there's some farmland in between where... 
you couldn't afford it or exactly they, they want to farm it for grain or whatever and Ex- you don't exactly you don't get contiguous so it's and and yeah. just pasture being even five miles away means you're loading them up in a trailer yeah and it's a totally different management and it's stressful it's stressful it's stri- on the animals and, and lose, the, and and the humans weight and then you got to put the weight back on and well and you manage accordingly yeah. like you tend to set stock that pasture so if you have a quarter yeah. section five miles away you'd take 20 cows to it yeah whereas in our situation we keep them the the power of regenerative agriculture what we do is is mm-hmm. in how you manage your animals right it's not as they say, it's not the cow, it's the how. Yeah. It's not the cow's fault that, that she's creating all this methane and we think it's a problem and we're not sequestering all this carbon. It's yeah. our management style that's, yeah. that's, we're not using them to their potential. So having them mm. all in one herd, that's the key. And it's because we're flying jets around to the Caribbean to try and figure out big problems like our, <laughs> yeah, well like that, our carbon footprint. Yes, I won't go into that. Well, let's wait until the Google guys land in their 747 and hear what they have to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I won't go I won't go that far, but I think what, what yeah. our deal is, what we're really focused on is the fact that we can, you know, we live on a soil carbon sponge. Mm-hmm. And what regenerative agriculture is all about is focusing on soil health. Yeah. And the way it should be. And I think a lot of people that talk about cows and methane and stuff, it's because we have so many huge feedlots because it's a yep. McDonald's world and they built the feedlots up so big and there's so many animals. Whereas in the old days, you'd have some, Yeah. you know, a big beef farmer in back in the day might have had 30 beef cows or something. That's right. And, and so it was all spread out and it was well, a lot centralized agriculture. Yeah. So this now it's, now it's like feedlots that have like thousands of animals right. and there's lots of them because everybody's got their butcher shop, the, every restaurant. We always say, oh, it's great. We have so many restaurants. Well, that's a lot of beef to put in restaurants. Mm-hmm. Everybody's mm-hmm. ordering. It has come from somewhere that can supply it. So yep. so a lot of that that happens. But when, you take, but when you do your way and say, we're just going to create what we need for a marketplace for homes, it, it, it drops right off and it becomes super manageable. Well, in, it, in it becomes way. sustainable. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be like, um, um, full disclosure, I, I will send cattle to the conventional market. And the way we're doing it is that we built this thing up and then not built this thing up, but I started buying land. And I mean, obviously, I grew up in conventional agriculture. And then we started learning about what we were doing wrong. Mm-hmm. So we're switching over. So where we we don't switch over in our management practices. Our management practices on our place are uh, regenerative. But when the animal leaves my place, say I sell... Uh, a yearling heifer on to the back to the conventional market. Then she goes into the conventional market. Right. So I can't really change that until I build this market. So that's yeah. what natural Manitoba, that's where that came in. So listen up people. That's and, right. And yeah. Get the more and start ordering. Yeah. And yeah. that, yeah. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook yeah. at, uh, at, at natural Manitoba. It used to, yeah. Instagram, natural Manitoba, Facebook, natural Manitoba.com is our online store. It's that easy. Yeah. It's yeah. that easy. It's yeah. Easy. It's all naturally Manitoba. I think in agriculture, what we need to focus on, like a lot of other, other industries, is it's going to take a transition time. Yep. And we have to allow people time. Like I'm 34 and I guess my, my, I kinda, I, I've kind of accepted this as the norm now, whereas mm-hmm. people that are older, they're, they're fighting it. But the new generation coming in, they're going to, you know, the 20-year-olds that are getting into agriculture, they're yeah. really going to drive it because they're going to do nothing but regenerative agriculture. Well, the ones that are, that are older than you and us, yeah, they were brought up in a world of progress, of yeah tractors things get easier you do but bigger right. scale bigger scale better. it up scale it up bigger is better yeah and yeah. then so to get that turned around it's a like that's that's the queen mary that, they turned it around yeah. once to get the way they are yeah but then to turn it around again it takes time yeah. so it, and it, it's yeah. interesting talking to my dad because he was he grew up in a time when 
a lot of the practices my grandfather did on the home place were regenerative yeah. just because they didn't have the technology to do well, too we much. We talked to dairy farmers and they're like, I'm doing what my granddad did. And we all thought he, my yeah. dad thought he was goofy doing it that way. So we did this. Now I think my dad's goofy and I'm yeah. more in line with it's the, a, the older a, regeneration. It's yeah. a switch back. Yeah. 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 yeah, one of uh, there's a famous guy in regenerative agriculture called Joel Salatin who's really good at direct marketing, and he talks about genetics and animals which have changed. And he has a great line that uh, he said, you know, if you want an efficient cow, go ahead and get yourself some 1950s genetics. Yeah. You know, just meaning that they were better before we improved them. Yep. You know, and then well, we, dairy farmers talking about they've they've increased the size of a uh, dairy cow by a third. Yep. They're almost like what 900 pounds now. Oh, and way more than that. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Maybe they would have been 900 yeah, pounds and yeah. now they're like 1500. 15, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they give more milk and everything. But on the other hand there, that's a 1500 pound cow. Well, and it just takes more inputs. You, yeah. you just can't get something for nothing. Yeah. And if you want a cow to produce 55 liters of milk or whatever it is, you got to feed her a lot of carbohydrates. Yeah. And that's yeah. got to come from somewhere. And she's going to put it out again. And that's where that's, they say, well, look at the methane and look at the whatever. And yeah. You know, and then when you scale everything up, that's when you get these. Well, and just centralizing, know. like it's amazing how cattle, Cows especially, or pigs or chickens, they have a spot in an ecosystem, just like, I mean, bison, a cow and a bison are so closely related, they can breed. Yep. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 they, there was a purpose for them to be here. They were cycling nutrients and mm -hmm. the birds were following them around and, and eating the, the fly larvae out of their dung. And the whole ecosystem mm -hmm. was developed almost around a grazer. You can't really say it, but they yeah. were a keystone species. So we can use a cow like that. But when you put them all together and take away all these benefits, all of a sudden you create all these problems. So it's like mm -hmm. on one hand, we have something that's actually the answer and we're taking her and making her the problem. Yeah. So it's kind of quite a thing that we've done. The humans, it's, I mean, it's like when going we say to we, hospital and getting sick. For, like it's the same thing yeah. yeah 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 whereas if you just stay home and be sick for a while you're probably better off maybe i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i uh, think it depends if it's the plague or if it's the flu, that's right, right. <laughs> yeah so people listening if you're sick still great still go to the hospital yeah, check maybe. it out so yeah. you get it checked out yeah don't take my advice don't do this at home yeah yeah but i might thousands wouldn't yeah but. So, so is your, your dad started buying land in the nineties. So is it, was he a, yeah, my grandfather came over here from, from Ireland. Okay. And he bought land and then he went through the dirty thirties and lost some was land. Was he in the same and, area that you're in? Yep. This is where my dad still is. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. My dad and my brother's right around there. Oh, okay. Um, and so that's actually my brother lives on, uh, kind of the home place originally. They, they okay. kind of lost some land in the thirties. They moved up to Swan river, got okay. some land up there and then came back to Verdon. Okay. Anyways, long story short, my place is only t 15 miles away from my dad's. He just started buying land over east of where east of his place where my place is just because there was land available yeah you okay. know it's i mean you just you don't special order land you just buy it when it's <laughs> yeah. available you yeah. know so you go where you have to and then it just so happened that we decided to to make our place there so there was an old yard site i guess i should say on mm -hmm. the place that nobody lived in an irishman had lived there in the 90s and then nobody lived in there since okay so me and my wife are, we kind of like fixing stuff up and yeah uh, kind of making there's so many yard sites out there now too. Eh? <laughs> well, like there, yeah, they're there's abandoned because somebody owns a block of land and exactly nobody's living on it. Yep, yeah. some farmer will own ten thousand acres and there'll be four abandoned yard sites on yeah. his place, and some of them will have hydro. We have to find a way to fix that to put people into that. What's well, one of the biggest smaller farms? Yeah, get get people back on the land. Yeah, even you know? if they're just uh, gardening or something or running a greenhouse or because you can make you can make a living on a small piece of land. Well, I think, and lots of people are proving it, especially yeah. in regenerative ag. If you follow that, yeah. you'll follow people like, uh, 
some great people to listen to are Seven Sons. I think they're they're down south. They're like near Chicago, mm-hmm. but there literally is Seven Sons in this family, and I think they own five or six quarters of land, and they all make a living on there. Yeah, I mean that's just goes against everything conventional ag would tell you. Yeah, that you need. Well, the bigger you get, the sh- the smaller your margins get. The more yeah. tenuous everything gets. Well, these guys are just removing all the middlemen. They're creating yeah. their product and their direct their direct yeah. marketing. Everything they that comes off of their place. Everything yeah. they export they sell well what's your what's your price per kilo for beef well so average it, uh, well an average yeah that's a great question so we're about eight dollars and ninety cents on beef right so we're we're pretty competitive like one thing we did we don't want our beef to be outrageously priced to but where that's, hi- that's highly competitive because i know it's super we competitive can, yeah we see prices of certain high-end cuts uh, well our that, that'll push 29 dollars a kilo 39 well like, we'll have high-end steaks you know. will be from 19 to 22 dollars like yeah. say a um tenderloin i i would have to look but i believe it's around 22 dollars a pound yeah. which is about normal for that type of steak yeah our ground beef is at six dollars i believe it's at six dollars right now ground beef is the one thing i'm not interested in competing with safeway for mm-hmm. because they'll have sales where they put it on for 2.99 and it's a lost yeah. leader and I'm not, you know, if, and it's not grass fed. It's, yeah. in, it's I'm yeah. not knocking that because yeah. I like Safeway, but that's an old cow yeah. that they've bought for not much money and ground up. Whereas mine's a fat animal and I just take the cuts that aren't high end and grind them. Right. So you're getting a Yours high end beef. Yours is more of a Ray and Jerry's uh, hamburger. Yeah. Because it's like a, a lot of good cuts go into that. And there's and a fair, and the, f- like everybody talks about lean ground beef, but I mean, I, I like the fat and I think fat can be healthy and if you use yeah. it properly and there's... It's good fat in there. How, are you, so, how do you create the fat in the cow? Do you, do you use uh, grains and, and things to finish it off? Well, no, because we did grass-fed. It grass-fed? It's, yeah, so what we do is in the winter, obviously, we feed forages. I'll have animals that this last winter feed was super expensive, so we did mm-hmm. have to feed some grains to animals that weren't in the grass-fed program, mm-hmm. which I had never actually done. Yeah. Um, but me and my wife talked about that. It kind of goes a little bit against what we're thinking. We're a little torn. We're still developing our yeah. kind of our our theory yeah. i guess well it takes time to scale up too as well if yeah. you're going to do all grass fed you have to develop that whole system right that's right but yeah the yeah. ones that we that go into our grass fat program they they eat forage in the winter and grass so they'll be about two to three years old but what we really make sure is that they're about three or four months on green growth like so in manitoba it doesn't really start growing until about 20th of may okay. like really yeah. good high energy mm-hmm. so we'll be butchering them in august september mm-hmm. like we're actually out of beef right now we have lots of pork yeah. But we're out of beef so but because we won't kill those girls until or butcher them until August, September when they're like really butterball fat. Yeah. And that's when you really get the benefits of grass fed beef. They need to be on mm-hmm. grass, getting the, the CLAs, the conjugated lineal acid. That's coming from the grass. You really need them eating that that nutrient rich grass. Right. That's where the real benefits at. And you're doing natural grasses too on your land, right? You're you're Well, it's it's native grass. It's kind of a unique piece of land in that area basically the reason it's native grass is because it's um it's very rough terrain we call them buffalo hollows okay. used to be when i was a kid i actually believed that the buffalo rolled there and they made yeah. them. it's just because they're frost heaves the water tables it's like four feet yeah so the frost heaves the ground up okay and then it's sandy so it's really light with moisture so it's kind of weird but they couldn't so grain it's farm undulating it. in a way as, you, yep. as the thaws and freezes yeah it's like, like a, the city streets yeah, it's just like Winnipeg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, basically, if we like yeah. in in the high ground, we could put a fence post in, and it'll look the same ten years. But in the low, we call lowland where the high water table is. Mm-hmm. You put a fence post in, and four or five years later, the frost has literally pushed it out of the ground. Yeah. So, but anyways, that's why it's native is because the farmers couldn't break it. Okay. Right? So, so you, 
So you that would be the distinction between native and tame pasture. Yeah. Would be tame would be just something that was tore up and seeded. And down. whereas a lot of people doing native grasses again, they have to go and reseed it. They have to That's wait right. until it takes. That's but right. You're, you're starting with that because it never went away. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of like cool. That. We actually have a caveat on our place uh, from Manitoba Habitat Heritage Corporation that it can never be broke. Right. So right. our place is is uh, nice. Yeah. So my son's gonna if he wants to, he's yeah. gonna get a crack at it. And it's never going, if canola goes to $120 a bushel, there's no temptation to break it because you can't. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. And I look at your Instagram, naturally Manitoba on Instagram, and I see pictures of you guys riding horses around yep. and doing stuff like that. I don't see any tractors or, I mean, well, how are you, how are you operating your, your, uh, your, your program? Well, we do use, yeah, we're really into the cowboy culture. So I use horses as much as I can, but I do blend in, like I, I use electric fences. That's what we use mm -hmm. to create that predator prey relationship and keep that animal in a tight group. Mm -hmm. So I'm constantly moving temporary wires. They're okay. little reels with 400 meters of string on them, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And I'm constantly moving that. So I do kind of, this morning I just moved a herd of 200 yearlings. And that's part of your pasture management too. So that's right. Where they don't graze too to, uh, yep. they don't shorten it down too much and it can regenerate as you move them. Yeah. So I try to use a horse as much as I can. Like this morning I, I moved them. I used a horse uh, as my son's horse named Ollie. Ollie? And okay. we actually have a, used to have a horse. We, we have a horse sale. Me and my wife just actually backed out of it. We did it for 14 years. We'd make these horses all mm -hmm. year and then sell them in the fall. Okay. But I just want to go a little different. I want to focus on natural Manitoba to be hundred percent mm -hmm. honest. Me and my wife do. Okay. Um, so you have your, your stable of horses now that you're going to stick with and yeah, we'll stick with to a degree. I yeah. mean, they will always move them. Like if somebody there's a market there, like if somebody wants a horse that they can just go have fun with and they've been there, done that, like, cause mm -hmm. our horses will go through creeks and prairie chickens fly up underneath them and stuff like that. And that's an experience. Yeah. And if they either make it or they like some horses are not ready for that yeah. or not the right type. So anyways, we do, and we treat the animals like this morning I had to treat two foot rotters. So they just get an infection in their foot. Mm -hmm. So we have to give them some antibiotics. So I just treat them. I rope them off my horse. Right. So which is, and then you have to use a really low stress management uh, methods to get it done, especially by yourself. Most people think it's a real rodeo when I tell them I do that, but it's yeah. anything but. Yeah. Because if it's a rodeo, you're crashing through fences and the horse is going to get hurt. And the animals, I want them to gain weight and be low stress. Yeah, so you're not flipping them over on their back and no, no. the eight-second tie-up and all that stuff. No, so essentially yeah. I just track them around until they get a little bit tired and rope their back feet. You have to rope two feet, and yeah. then I'll rope them, dally on, and let it slide until they just slide out. It's like you have them on a on a big fishing rod at that point. Mm -hmm. And then they just stop them, they fall over, and then you, it's called tying off. You tie off on and your, your horse. And your horse works with you, too, to keep tension yeah. and... Yeah, and then I can actually tie off to the horse and get off and yeah. go treat. And then I have my saddlebags, so I have my antibiotics in there, yeah. and anything I need. So, so you're doing just like they do in the uh, uh, community pastures. In a same lot thing. Because yep. they're, they're doing it off horse as well. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah my buddy runs the community pasture in Verdon. He just yeah. got it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, and then my other friend works there. So, yeah, we all, like... Yeah. The cowboy culture, especially in, like in Western Canada, it's it's pretty prominent, but it's, it gets smaller as you move east. So Manitoba, mm -hmm. I, I know everybody here yeah. that's, that does it, mm -hmm. you know, but it's interesting. But because that's the thing I find, too. I've ridden in trucks or SUVs across these pastures and boy, you'd get a bad back after years yeah. of doing that. Like and you just don't get anywhere. Whereas if you're on a horse, it's like. They, they they do it for you and it's yeah it, they, and, and it's the best way to look at grass road vehicle right they they are <laughs> yeah you don't have to fuel them up yeah 
but it's the best we're so focused on soil health and growing grass mm-hmm. and you're it's like you're trying you kind of talked about it we're managing this grazing so we don't overgraze we don't undergraze and we rest it properly yeah so you're constantly looking at your we call them paddocks so on my place i'll have 55 i think there's f- no 40 or 50 permanent paddocks and okay. then i'll actually use temporary reels and split them up again mm-hmm. so the animals are never in the same place maybe twice a year yeah wow sometimes three times a year if there's a lot of growth okay um, how many animals like in that herd well so our place we kind of we have there's a herd of two right now there's a herd of 200 yearlings so they're a year old they're okay. or they're 14 months right now and then there's a herd of cows which is a little smaller than it usually is because we had, we sold some uh i think there's a herd of 120 cows but okay. we can stock quite a bit more than that yeah but our we backed off it's called your stocking rate how many cows your place can carry mm-hmm. we backed off that because we're trying to grow grass and that's stockpile. based on acreage right like how many you can have per acre that's right per year that's right yeah yeah that's so exactly gain the proper amount of weight it's exactly yeah. what it is so, so you just divide that through use math after that which yeah. right i lose the thread so yeah but you know <laughs> well yeah i'm not a real mathematician myself but my wife takes care yeah. of that part pencils and paper and stuff yeah. like that and you figure it out yeah yeah but so you have so you have two herds there's they're separate herds then yeah and so just, and you're moving them through yeah the different paddocks on a schedule and That's you're also right. i guess it's not a clock schedule because you have to look at the grass right yeah, like you kind of start to get a feel. They call it the grazers. The experts call it a grazer's eye. Yeah. And I don't think I have it yet. But it but depends on rain, how much sun you have, if exactly. it's dying off, it's exactly. how well it's doing. You got to, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a dead reckoning almost. Yeah. Yeah, it, like you cut, yeah, it's like you have a bit of a green thumb, but mm-hmm. you start to really try to not, overgrazing is the, that's the death of a grazer. Yeah. You don't want to do that. And overgrazing is hanging around too long. Mm-hmm. So I always explain it to people. I always say, take your front lawn outside if it was fenced in, you had one goat. Yeah. If you took that lawn that you had one goat grazing and split it up into a hundred tiny little paddocks yeah. and he grazed each one and after a hundred days you'd start over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But if you just let that goat go and don't have a hundred paddocks, he's going to graze the heck out of a couple spots and then a couple spots are going to overgrow mm-hmm. and, and both of those spots grow less grass next year. Yeah. And that's not what you want. And that's yeah. where carbon sequestration comes in, water infiltration, nutrient cycling. All of this stuff is benefited by proper grazing. So that's where the cow becomes the tool to yeah. make all this stuff work. And do you use fertilizers and things like that? Or do you use... No. I know some places they use uh, liquid manure from uh, yeah. pig operations and that. Do you use anything like that? Or do I you don't. Use... There's no pig barns around our place. Yeah. I don't know if I would be opposed but, but to would it. would that be something you put on or... You could. I think they direct yeah. and they inject it right into the ground. It's almost kind of like an air seeder and yeah. it goes right in so it doesn't smell. I mean, that would be yeah. kind of along the lines that we're thinking, like rather than a synthetic fertilizer like NP and K, manure is just basically bacteria. You're yeah. just injecting organic matter and bacteria into the ground, which yeah. is fat. That's great. You're feeding the life in the soil. But we do have to look into, we're looking into kind of compost teas, tough stuff like that. Cause we mm. have some land that's so it's dead. Essentially. There's no life in the soil from yeah. overgrazing yeah. and sand really eats carbon and it's hard. Yeah. Like yeah. think of a beach. It's hard to get a lawn to grow well, on a it's beach. Des- it's the desertification of it's desertification. Of that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you got to, now you're trying to, what they call it? Salination resalinating it yeah. like uh and just, so you're trying to bring it back to life we're trying to bring it back to life and and soil w- does that soil's the main thing but if you don't have anything growing there nothing holds the soil yeah and then the soil it's like in texas hill country they took out all the shrubs now realizing the shrubs had miles of connecting roots underneath yeah and as soon as they took all those out all the soil washed away in the rain yeah and then they're like okay forget it you got nothing on your hills now and so 
to get that back, it takes major, major undertakings. It it of, does. It's you know. it's funny when we we think we understand nature, yeah, and we think we know what she should do, and it's just we're it's just ranching and farming. I heard a great line somebody said one time. It should be just um, mimicking nature and harvesting the surplus. Mm-hmm. So it's like you literally should look at what did the what what did the ecosystem look like when I wasn't here. Yeah. Try to do that and just harvest the surplus. Yeah, do like the native people did. They didn't have a, a pig, so they couldn't have pig manure. But then they would graze the uh, the bison, and when they wanted to move them, they just have lightning and thunder go off, and yeah, then they'd yes. run they'd run somewhere else and they'd graze somewhere yep. else. Can't you do that? You, I I'd have to learn how to do that. I don't know. <laughs> That'd beat fencing, though. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have to fence. <laughs> yeah. I might have to own more land, though. They might run through a town well, as well. Well, I feel like they'd also run through a lot of canola crops, and yeah. I'd have to make a lot of crop insurance would be after me. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. I think the way you're doing is more manageable. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows though, right? In a hundred years. Yeah. I don't well, know. It'll probably be back to that, you know, because it won't be as important to to have blocks of towns and things. I think with the lack of oil coming up, it's going to change. Could be. Like a lot of people move back out into small holdings and and it'll be uh, it'll be different. I'm not sure how, but it'll, I'm sure it'll change. Well, how do you see? Yeah, we know it's going to. Let's look at how much has changed from the 60s till now. I mean, what is what's the next 50 years going to bring? Yeah, it's going to be crazy. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, too much to think about though. I, so yeah. I'm scared of this autonomous technology. I listen to too much of that, and yeah, I can't wait until all the uh, driverless cars are crashed into each other. Well, <laughs> the, some of these, and I don't know if it's going to touch cows for a while, but or or the cattle industry, but the grain farming industry, it's just going to be mm-hmm. big corporations that have a bunch of robots driving around. Oh, you're running from the city. Yeah, it's all GPS. It's all. Yeah, uh, it's, that's not that far away. Yeah. I can't remember. There's a great movie with Matthew McConaughey where uh, it's it's he's a farmer and it's not it's just kind of part of the story. But if you look in the background, yeah. you, they drive through all these cornfields to get to his house. If you look in the background, he has all these case combines that are autonomous. They have no cap. Yeah. So whoever wrote that movie was probably he's bang on. Yeah. It's gonna be a bunch of corn and a farmer will literally be a mechanic. Well, back in the nineties, we I worked on a show at uh, MTN. It was the the Manitoba Farm Report, and uh, there were. There's a guy, one of the reporters went out to Saskatchewan to watch the first demonstration of the driverless tractors run by GPS. In the 90s. In the 90s, yeah, mid-90s. And uh, they had some house with a deck and all the farmers up on the deck overlooking this field. And a kid there from university had his laptop and he's tap, 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 tap. And the tractor started up and it went and it perfectly drove over this field, whatever it was demonstrating, whether yeah. it was seeding or heroin or whatever. And... Uh, and, it, and they're showing them, look, this is perfectly lining up. It's not overseeding. It's yeah. not missing anything. It's like perfect, perfect, perfect. And then the farmers liked it at that time. And they didn't know why. And they did studies on it. They the heavy-duty questionnaires. Feedback, feedback, feedback. And in the end, they deduced that it was, there was nowhere for the farmer to sit on the tractor. They wanted to drive the tractor. Yeah, and now And so from then till now, it's taken... So a farmer's like, well, I guess I don't sit on the tractor. I sit at, I can watch it from my truck at the side of the, the field. Yeah. And the tractor just goes out there and does that. Yeah. Well, you think about the next generation of guys that are coming in that are so techy. They're used to doing so much on their phone. Yeah. They're, I mean, the GPS that they have in these, mm-hmm. in these tractors now, yeah. not, not taking away from the farmers because they're hard workers. And well, they love and farmers. Yeah, but a lot of them, I mean, once they turn this thing around, yeah. they're watching a movie or... Yeah, they're business people or they're technology people. Yeah, it's, they're not steering. So it's not... Yeah. This autonomous stuff's not far away. Yeah. But it, it's scary. 
because that means less people on the land and do your horses have gps's <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know it's you need that uh horsemanship's an art you know i yeah. i love it because you like uh you know you want to like you try to create a a well broke horse mm-hmm. so you have soft hands they'll have a soft mouth it's it's like a constant thing you're learning yeah if that's the type of person have you, you are, tried, I guess I have you tried bitless like no riding your horse without bits no i could i could ride them in a halter pretty easily yeah like once they get you could ride them in a hackamore that's like a the bit seems like everything i looked into that it's all about it's just a it's a pain it's it's, it's, it's the wrong controlling them through pain the wrong bit is the right bit mm-hmm. isn't yeah. like because the wrong bit would be a pinch mechanism the like, one that joins in the middle like, no those can be a correction bit yeah like the problem with a bit is is it's like it's it's not the bit it's the person working it yeah so it's yeah. like in the right hands because there's a tradition like the old vaqueros from california when they when the spaniards brought over their horsemanship some of the finest horsemen in the world's ever known mm-hmm. they have what's called a spade bit and if you looked at it it looks really severe but the whole point of a spade bit is essentially to never touch it yeah like they would take their they had a tradition where they would take their reins and they would take a strand of horsehair and attach it between the reins and the bit so if you pulled any harder than you needed to, it would break the, the horse hair, right? Right. So the tradition was to take this bit that was made to make the horse break at the pole, which is its, you know, right at the top of its head. Mm-hmm. It would break there and become collected and it they become very supple. Because okay. um, so you don't want the head, the head down too far or up too high? Yeah. Well, so you, I mean, you see horses that, that aren't very well broke. They're faces in the air and they're not responding well yeah you see one that like if you go to say a dressage or something like that mm-hmm. the horse is really he's responsive and it's not through cruelty yeah it's so and it looks elegant because it has his head just at the right well it does i mean to not to get too deep into it, but when you do that a horse's hind quarters come up underneath him and becomes far that's how they move naturally when they're without us mm-hmm. but they tend to get splayed out when we're on them because they're kind of pushing against us right. so you want them back in that it's kind of like an athletic stance for an athlete yeah. So, well, I've heard people say you can tell if a horse is broke properly because it's either pushing from the back end or the front end. Yeah, that's kind so, of it. But which is the proper? It should be pushing from the back end more. Well, it should. It should take its hindquarters and kind of collect them up underneath of itself. Yeah, yeah. And that that's kind of when you start to have collection. That's what it's called. So the horse kind of rounds its back. Okay. And it just becomes more athletic and more responsive. But yeah. to get it, you kind of have to be a high-end horseman. Right. And not that I'm saying I'm a high-end horseman, but But you're not saying learning. you're not either. So. Well, we, yeah. have, we don't have video here, and we're not out in the farm. so Yeah. You can get away with anything but you no, want No, right but now. check out, uh, <laughs> I think, at naturalmanitoba.com. You, yeah. I think I have some horsemanship videos. on Not horsemanship, mm. me riding. Mm. Anyways, but that's the point. You could, uh, yeah. Like the bit I use, actually, is just a, it's a piece of store, a dog chain. So, but it's smooth, like it, you can't cut them. So it lays on top of their tongue. Okay. So the response is, and then there's a curb strap underneath that they feel. So there's no actual bar that hits the bars of their mouth. That's mm-hmm. why I love it. Cause it's like, kind of like having, you hear guys riding with store string. It's just a response thing. Okay. Anyways, it's much softer. So, cause everything we're doing is kind of going towards working more with the animal and not yeah. working against it. So it's like all of this stuff you do, you kind of just start to, this world kind of gets opened up to you. You're like, Hey, mm-hmm. if I'm going to be a horseman, I'm going to be a good one. Yeah. And one that has horses that likes them. Yeah. You know, same thing about cows. Like I used to think of cows as just cows. And now I think of them as this wonderful creation that evolution has give us. Yeah. And they're, you know, and they, they're essential they, for whatever intelligence they are. They have intelligence. And I, you know, I've read Cormac McCarthy novels where the, the cowboy riding through the herd was on a certain horse 
and that horse didn't put the cows on alert because it wasn't the horse that he would ride to work the cattle. Oh, that could be. Right? So the yeah. cows would sort of see which horse it was and yeah. go, oh, we don't, we can just keep grazing. Yeah. You know, it's sort of stress-free. But cattle get so used to you with your handle, like the way you handle them. Yeah. That's another thing we've got into is low stress management. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's kind of from the, when I was a kid to now, the way we handle them is so much different. Yeah. You work with them, not against them. Like chasing them and pushing them and. Well, they have instincts. So you need to learn that. Like, it's like horsemanship is you need to learn the horse's language rather than he learns yours. Yeah. And cows, it's the same way. Like they have a certain way they like to do things Mm -hmm. and you need to use that because working like. You know, we tend to be, our nature is to force things and make things work for us. Well, I think human nature is not to understand the thing you're trying to do. Exactly. And then just blaming it when it doesn't work. Yeah. And then then when you turn that around and you go, wait a minute, let me figure this thing out. Yeah. Suddenly your whole world changes and you become stress-free too. Yeah. yeah, It's money that stresses you. Yeah. It's not the cows. Yeah. I could spend all day well, watching cows. that comes back to humans then. See, no, I know it does. Yeah. Because they're not buying your product. So if they start, if humans, if we can train humans into a low stress way of <laughs> yeah. buying your product. <laughs> which is, go, which make, is online purchasing. Yeah, because then that'll make your life easier too, right? Yep. And low yeah. stress. Yeah. Ca- people have to, to understand. Uh, we haven't even talked about the pigs yet too. But go oh, ahead. Oh yeah, no, fin- go. Well, go I, finish your thought. Well, I just, you, you got to get out and see the cows to really understand what's going on and the difference. Because you can't see it from the road. You can't tell one operation from the next just by driving by them. Yeah. You kind of got to go in there and talk to the farmer or rancher and figure out, like, right away you can tell somebody that's regenerative because they love soil health. Mm-hmm. They're all of a sudden they've figured out it's all about soil and yeah. that's all they want to talk about. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the change. Yeah. Because cat, like. Well, even in the city here, and I'm from the country, I'm from around Bertal area, Beulah. Are you? That's where I grew up, yeah. So you're not far. Back in the day. Okay. So, um, but even in our front lawn in the city here, I leave the grass longer because it keeps the soil under it moist. Yeah. And the grass is healthier and it's not, it's yeah. not any grass that anybody's proud of, but what grass is there yeah. is better. And then we have neighbors who will, they don't care about mowing it at all. But when they do, they use one of those battery kitty mower mowers yeah. and they take it down to like, like golf green length. Yeah. And then it just dies because it just, gets hot. because it just turns into Mars. Yeah. And then, and then it's like right there and it's just like, my God. And then they get back in the day with that house, you'd get the foundation would heave and they get cracking foundations because there's no moisture in the soil that's yeah. around that foundation. So when the rain comes, it super soaks it. And when, when it dries out, it super dries out. Runs over top but of it. But when you manage it and you just leave it so the soil is holding moisture, it can handle rain because it'll absorb it evenly and it'll handle drought because it won't dry out as fast. Yeah, you're exactly right. So that's a mini pasture in a way. But it's the same principles. Yeah. Like they, they apply everywhere to people's gardens, to your potting plants. It's all the same soil. Yeah. It's, it all works the same. Yeah. yeah. It's funny you say about the short grass because that's the number one comment you get when you rotate your cows, when you get into this high stock density grazing, mm-hmm. you'll have paddocks that you've, you've haven't been to for two and a half months, let's say. Yeah. And they've grown back up. They're flourishing. They look yeah. good. Yeah. And people will drive by and their first thing that they will say, if they, they don't understand what you're doing is, well, your grass is too long. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. well, that's the point. You're yeah. trying to get the grass to grow. And like you think about it exactly what you said. That yeah. soil under there is moist and it's thriving. The bacteria and the fungi is just going. Yeah. It's f- taking water in. It's pulling carbon in during the day. Like yeah. it's it's working the way it's supposed to. And yeah. then you get to graze the grass. You're you know, it's yeah. like your bank account is growing. Yeah. Or you could just Th- those are your future cow pounds. Well, like that's your future beef or your future yep. whatever. That's, that's your feed right there. Yeah. So it's just crazy. But people will. 
they don't they can't wrap their head around it that you want to grow more grass and sometimes you're going to look at a paddock and it's going to be look like a hayfield it's going to yeah. have a ton of grass in it yeah but that's when you get into this you drive by those paddocks and you can feel the carbon being like i be, like mm -hmm. i don't understand soil health like a soil biologist or something but you just start to feel the life mm -hmm. like all of a sudden you don't think of life just being on top of soil you think of it being in the soil too yeah. Yeah. you know that's been the change for us like that paradigm shift, you know? Yeah, and it's like the people up in English that grow camelina. It's a it's a little it's a plant that comes up two and a half feet high and it's like a wheat kind of plant, but it's round, it's like a little mini bush. But there's there's just a soil under it. So they're looking at growing was the lentils or peas along with it. Oh, yeah. To give it that ground cover, the shade. Yep. And a legume, get some nitrogen in there. Yeah, and, and, and also to block out the sun and yep. give the soil like a chance to hold moisture. Yep. The Three Sisters, you, you know the Three Sisters crop? No. Um, like I think the Native Americans used it and Thomas Jefferson used it. It's um, So it's grass, legumes, and brassicas together. Okay. So I think this is what the natives used to do. This is yeah. crazy. They grew corn um, and then their legume was maybe a clover. Okay. Maybe a vetch, something with a big broad leaf, and I don't know what their brassica was. And then they would take a dead fish, also yeah. partly decayed, and bury it in the soil to feed the soil life. And that was the, but so they lived, they ate the corn, yeah. And the vetch fed the corn, nitrogen yeah. kept the soil covered, and so did the brassica. And then the decaying fish also fed the microbiology. Like they had farming, mm -hmm. like I wouldn't say figured out, but that well, was yeah. They had no no Roundup, no NP, well, they NP and K. Out symbiotic nature. Like, yeah, like Tom's uh, Jefferson was using cover crops for tobacco in uh, when was he around? I'm, I'm yeah. not a historian. 1870 well, or something. 1760s, 70s. Sorry, that was that was a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but say, I guess it, it's like old technology. Yeah, you know, I was in 1870. They're trying to rip it all apart. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they were starting. 1870, they put it together. Inventing the plow. Yeah. I just listened to a podcast about. No, I meant the country. The, the, oh yeah, the yeah, yeah, Civil War. <laughs> yeah, and then right. the plow came along. And yeah. Then, hey, look what we can do. There, there, I was yeah. listening to a podcast about the Amazon, and the, the there was a, a like a strong civilization of people that lived there before. I think they got wiped out. Yeah, you're listening to Graham Han Graham yeah. Hancock. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, Graham yeah, Hancock. He's and, talking about how it's a it, it was a it was a garden. It was planted. And the, so and this terra and now it's just overgrown. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that fertilizer they had yeah. was like kind of a compost. Yeah. The tea. kind of soil they would make. They'd burn. They'd burn. Uh, something. They'd burn. It'd be a charcoal. They'd make charcoals. Yeah. But not yeah. all the way to charcoal. It was. Some, yeah. And then they'd mix it. But they still don't know how exactly they did it. But, but that's fascinating. Yeah. How long ago they had that figured out and they yeah. had to, they could feed these people without Monsanto. Yeah. You know, that's that's Are pretty good. Cool. Monsanto as a, as a sponsor. No. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I don't even yeah, throw any like names Monsanto. out there. Damn Monsanto. Yeah. But, but, but that's the thing. Like when you go into the chemist lab, the chemist lab is the earth and it's out there and it's the rain and it's the sun and it's the wind and it's the soil and it's the shade. It's everything. And it's, if you, if you, if you think you can outsmart that, then it's, you can't. No, you gotta work like, with it. Yeah. Yeah. That, but that's pretty cool when you start to kind of think like that, when you start to look at this stuff and be like, well, mm -hmm. how do I recreate that? Or how do I follow what it's already doing? And yeah, and then, you, and then you sleep on it and you go, you know what? If we just let nature and follow nature and don't try and kill it, then yeah, then you can uh, be ahead. And it's no. also lowering your own expectations, too. How do you, you know, mean? To sort, of, to sort of not force it and not push. Like when you start working like that, you, you lay back and you say, OK, you know things will get good but 
if we push it, they're not going to get good. You yeah. know, it's like a hockey team, right? Go, if you try and force the play, yeah, you start getting yeah. scored on. <clears throat> then you're farther behind, right? Well, Whereas if you if you roll with it and let things yeah, let develop naturally, I think some of the, some people that are really into conventional ag, uh, like grain farmers, and then they kind of switch over to start growing cover crops mm-hmm. and green manure and things like that. I think, and I wasn't one of those guys but i think that's one of the biggest transitions for them is to just let stuff happen because they're so used to a clean field yeah you know no weeds and then all of a sudden you're kind of just letting stuff grow and all of a sudden you're getting dandelions and you're getting this and that and you kind of let it happen a little bit well i call this podcast wild oats because it's like you don't see wild oats around they've eradicated through you know through herbicides and stuff but you, you almost need those and it's one of the wonderful things and the old the old adage always was oh one step forward two steps back thinking it was a bad thing, but maybe that old adage comes to us saying, no, it is one step forward and two steps back because yeah. that's maybe nature's way. Well, she's ultimately going to win. Like we're just a blip on the radar. This nature's not a girl. That's a guy. Okay. God's a woman. Nature's Could be a guy. Well, well, I don't, I won't get into it, <laughs> but we're just a blip on the radar. Like how yeah. long this whole system's been going. And yeah. I think from, you know, the the industrial age or how you know whenever it started in the 30s or mm-hmm. this is gonna be a blip on the radar like ultimately yeah. we might be gone and she'll just carry on yeah see so what pulling carb that whole nutrient cycle will just keep going oh this whole save the earth movement it's, it's not save the earth to save humans or save yeah. our way of life is what they should say because earth will be fine through seven million years from now yeah it'll be it'll be yeah fine. it's whether we're here or not yeah 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 but it's it's weird like oh so speaking of that tell us about your pigs though okay yeah so the pigs <laughs> well so the pigs are pastured pork so we do feed them grain they're they're monogastric so they that's the theory they can handle starch a lot better yeah. than a ruminant um yeah so we're just in the process right now they're in one big paddock we have a farrowing paddock with that's in a it's a bunch of trees and and grass and legumes and blah blah just mm-hmm. everything and then we have a big paddock kind of a big pasture that we set stock and so we're just in the process of making it so we rotate them because pigs eat surprisingly eat a lot of grass or just mm-hmm. stuff like they'll root up yeah. roots and they'll just and and as with any animal what we're finding we put them on a big pasture but they're not doing it any favors they the whole point of animals is they leave like they they rotate they migrate yeah pigs yeah. wouldn't really migrate but they move around they don't yeah. stay in one spot so we're in the process of doing that but yeah so we have pastured pasture pig uh we actually we have a you know, so we sell, a, I guess getting to our product, we sell, um, we have pork boxes. So we'll sell a 13 pound box, which you just got. Yep. The, the next one up is 30. And then I think there's a 50 or 60. But if you go on naturalmanitoba.com, it's, there's, there's, uh, it's really, really easy because you just click on grass fed beef or raw honey or pasture pork. Or then there's, a, we call it a diversity box because mm-hmm. we're all about diversity. That's the point of regenerative agriculture is not yeah. looking at monocultures, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's the pasture pork side. What kind of pigs are they? So the they're cream. Tamworth Berkshire crosses. Okay. And then, uh, we just got a boar. We were renting boars cause we didn't really know how to keep them around. Cause pigs are new to me. I yeah. and my wife, like we always have had cows and horses and we were, we knew what to do, but pigs is just a whole different thing. Yeah. You know, everybody kind of thinks of the old school farmers always having pigs, but that's not I mean, pigs we did, aren't growing up. Well, I'm sure you did, but, but pigs, yeah, pigs but, now are in a we're big in barn because where we got them from, they just did pigs. They, so, but you yeah. had Yorkshires then, like the pink ones. The pink ones, yeah, yeah, yeah Yorkshires, Yorkshires yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but and pigs have, are big business now. It's in a big barn, and yeah, that's the thing. I think everybody's got to go back, like you say, get it, get yourself 
that homestead patch, 20 acres, that's all you need. Get yourself a couple pigs, get yourself a couple cows, get yourself a milk cow, get yourself yep. a, a horse. Just because kids should grow up around horses. It's well, you only, gotta. all natural. Yeah. And uh, and just and get yourself a big garden. You can use yeah. the pigs to get your garden going. We did know? that this year. Yeah. So we did last year put the chickens. So we have we have uh, I built a chicken tractor. You've probably seen them. Oh, it's the ones like, that move around. Yeah. Yep, the, move the same with the that's like the your pasture management. Yep, it's the same theory, but yeah. actually this year I cracked the gate on it and I just let them go. Okay. Because they're doing they just go around and pick they through. do it themselves. Yeah, they're picking up earthworms and they're yeah. foraging, right? Yeah. So we had the chickens on it and last wood year. Ticks. They take all the wood ticks out yep. too if you put them in the bush. Yeah. Guinea hens apparently. We yeah. gotta get some of those. They apparently just You get those down around Steinbeck area. I've seen one Kijiji. Yeah, you can yeah, find yeah. those. Yeah. And they're guard dogs too. Like if somebody comes geese. in your yard. You want geese for good guard dogs. Is that right? That's what the Romans used. They knew. Like, what kind of geese would you get? Just those white geese, those mean ones. You got eight of them, and they just make a pack, and they'll just go after anything. But do they like the person, the farmer? Like, no, like, no. Oh, no, that's, no. The, that's the problem, because I, <laughs> I have a kidding? rooster. They don't like anybody, and that's the whole point of them. Yeah. My rooster right now has decided to take on my three-year-old, or he's just turning mm-hmm. four, my son, and yeah. they, he they have a battle every day. Oh, that's called tough love. Yeah, well, yeah. Rooster's just tuning him into what life's all about. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's figuring out, like, the rooster never challenges me. Yeah. And he doesn't challenge my wife, but my son is only, yeah. you know, he's yeah. just four. So the rooster's figured out he thinks he's higher on the on the yeah. pecking order, I guess you'd say. Yeah. So he's testing that. Yeah. And Rory, he's not, like, mm-hmm. he's kind of afraid, but he, he kind of likes to poke the bear, Yeah, you know? So they're battling it out all summer, so we'll see who wins. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. But we, we put the pigs <laughs> on the garden this year to till it, but we yeah. didn't do it perfectly. We put one old sow because she's really easy to lead around. Yeah. But what I need is the whole herd because then... You get, it's all about herd impact. Yeah. You need them together. And then they have this instinct when they get together, they're competitive. They mm-hmm. just start going to work and whatever they do, they'll do lots of like yeah. cows will yeah. stomp and pee and poo and graze and pigs will root up and eat. And yeah. so, but yeah. And this year we're mulching our garden. Okay. So like, you know, mulch gardening, like where you, will you plant your rows and then you just rather than bare soil, um, in between the rows, you would put any sort of mulch on there, like old okay. hay or straw, and okay, that yeah. just keeps the moisture in. So, like when you do strawberries, yep, like same, straw yeah. and whatnot. And yeah. s- but using those regenerative egg practices, same yeah. soil principles. We don't want bare dirt yeah. because that's drying out and has no life. We want yeah. we want to hold water in there. People can't get straw now because the farmers have learned to put the straw back yep, in, the mulch, true. and put it back in. Yeah. And now people have animals that rec- that that say, well, there's going to be tons of straw around. No. No, it is. Yeah, it's hard to find. Yeah. They all... And you almost have to get into grain farming to some extent to get your own straw, to yep. get your own, you know... Well, but get barley somebody, would be good. Grow some barley. Get barley somebody chop. with, a, I think, uh, a conventional combine, they call it. Like, yeah. they, don't, they don't thresh it. The old ones, yeah. Or take yeah, the, the fans, ones. yeah, take the cutters off. Yeah. yeah. No, it's true. They all put it back on the land. Yeah. Which is good. But now you can get... Now you can buy some farmland and you can grow your own barley. So you can have barley chop for yep. your pigs and you can have yep. the straw then. And uh, do yeah. the whole deal. Get some milk cows so you can give them the skim milk. You can have the the cream. Yeah, that's I, what we did. Like our pigs, we'd milk our cows, and we'd take whole milk into the house, and we'd skim off the cream for the creamery to get the, yeah. the where we got butter from the creamery, and the skim milk went straight back to the pigs, and we had the happiest pigs. And then all the kitchen and cuttings, they'd be fat too. All the kidding, kitchen cuttings yeah. every day went down to the pigs, and it was just it's just like. Those are the happiest pigs. I was always That's saying a, a slow day for the pigs was water and barley chop. People used pigs just to recycle. Yeah, and then like eat you them. Just, That's your bacon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's smart. It's yeah. we've gotten away from that though. 
I seen a there was it's a, all about mixed fire. It's it's holistic, right? So it's the whole circle, and and I think you'll probably you know it's the the path you're traveling, you'll probably find that in the end you'll say well now we got this we got that we got and there's a purpose for it all, you know. Well, absolutely. Comes, where yeah. where we're at is it's almost like um, the more animals you add, you realize it takes more time to manage them. You actually want to get smaller. Yeah. Because you can't. Uh, well, that's it. Yeah. It, you, yeah. It takes a lot of time to manage and have all these animals. Yeah. And uh, that's where somebody that wants to buy 60, 80 acres of land and make a go of it, they, they actually kind of have an advantage in mm -hmm. that they can use all these principles and they can have 10 cows yeah. rather than 200 and then they can have a flock of birds and they can have pigs and they can have yeah. everything they can have bees and they can do the whole thing mm -hmm. and be extremely holistic and then market all those products so that's and you, and you can pick your weeds by hand you don't have to use herbicides and stuff I well mean, you're right there right you have got, your cows pick your weeds yeah, yeah. just they're just forage that's what i mean yeah it's, yeah it's, you're all right there yeah yeah no it's that we brought we have a beekeeper we don't he's not ours but mm -hmm. i mean he's a beekeeper and i advertised and it turned out he was a guy i went to school with and he was really <laughs> into it yeah so he's got he put bees on our place last year and he's putting them on again and we're gonna we're just taking that we're gonna sell his honey okay which to me is i got enough to do but mm. i want the bees i need the bees now i realize yeah. the benefit of bees like yeah. now i wouldn't be without them is that even for your prairie grasses like the natural well, grasses? It's the legume it's the it's the flowering plants obviously yeah but the legumes like so you know what happens is to kind of explain it a little bit not to go too deep but the latent seed bank in the soil has just a bank of seeds that lives there for up to a thousand years mm -hmm. it just needs the right environment to grow right? right so what happens is is if when you start managing your grass this way and creating rest periods so say i'll be on a patch of ground for 12 hours and then they won't come back for 60 days it's all about that 60 days what happens everything that 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 you just create an environment for starts to flourish because mm -hmm. it won't get grazed again so what the first thing you see is legumes that everybody who's a holistic management or who's a good grazer or regenerative egg will tell you when you're doing a good job first thing you'll see is legumes come up and last year well two years ago but last year we had white and yellow sweet clover which okay. i mean you'd see lots of or yeah. you'd know lots about but yeah it's just man we had clover six feet high it yeah. flourished and then we had the bees and jesse the guy who's the beekeeper said that that was the mo that was the most productive I don't know their terminology. Their boxes or whatever they have. Yeah. I can't remember what they the call hives. them. Yeah. Their hives. Yeah. They were supers is what they call them. Okay. So they were, the supers were just producing a lot. And then apparently I started reading about it. Clover has a really distinct taste. Mm -hmm. So we, and we had two beekeepers last year and Jesse gave me the honey off of my place. Mm -hmm. And the other beekeeper gave me the honey off of somebody else's place. And the taste between the two was you could, I don't like the other guy was great, but we did not like the honey. Maybe we yeah. were biased, but the clover honey is really nice. Yeah. Anyways, well, we'll the clover needs the, the bees and the bees need the clover. But what mm -hmm. happens is, is um, now all of a sudden you have these clovers flourishing and you're pulling in more nitrogen, which is feeding the grass, right? And feeding the, the I think it's rhizobius or rhizobia bacteria, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But it's all beneficial. It's just they're part of the system. Yeah. Plus you get a, a um, uh, entomologist. Is that right? The people that study bees. Is it entomologist? He told me that you get a 15% bump in biomass. So the amount of plant you grow just by having bees yeah so as a rancher or farmer it is a no-brainer and you're seven square miles of no fertilizers no pesticides well yeah but pesticides the, the the ones that's affecting the bees the so neo, your bees neonicotinoids yeah that's yeah well and so we can't 
say for sure, like it's kind of when you buy organic honey, it's kind of corny because how do you know they stayed there? But in our, yeah. I think a bee flies, if there's a beekeeper listening, he's going to correct me, but it's like two miles or two and a half miles. So we're trying to put Jesse's bees in a place that, because our place is unique that the lake covers the whole east side. So yeah. they're not eating anything there, right? So, so, yeah, so yeah. kind of technically, if you stick them about where our yard is, they can go north, south, and east and never leave my place. Yeah. Or north south and west sorry and mm -hmm. then to the east is the lake so okay. we kind of do i can't guarantee that they never had a gmo plant yeah and i'm but I'm, I'm, we're not organically certified anyway so it doesn't matter yeah. but pretty much we can say that the honey came from our place and the colony is, is strong because they're not dying <sighs> off in any great numbers or anything man or? i i don't know that much because he takes yeah. the bees home to his place and manages them yeah. the way he does but he's not complaining like he's not coming to you saying geez where's all my bees <laughs> no, no, no. He well, he actually thought it was great. He's bringing yeah. more next year because yeah. he said there was so much food there. Okay, because those guys want to put them on canola and alfalfa and yeah. things that they that there's lots of nectar. Mm -hmm. And anyways, because so because we have so many bigger rest periods, these clovers flourish, and yeah. then the bees have lots of food. And yeah, so anyway, Again, I hope it's that nature cycle. That's yeah, it's like you liking it. As you keep going, you start to try to replicate a natural ecosystem. So you start to have grazers and you start to have um, birds eating fly larvae and you, you need pollinators and you need you need all of these things that that just was were here before. Right. So you, you just keep going and adding things. Yeah. I, I would like a big herd of free range birds following my cows because that's natural fly mm -hmm. control. Right. Because the right. the okay. fly cycle is really easy to predict. I think the fly cycle is something like. They lay the larvae, put the larvae in there, and in five days they hatch, and then they only live till like for 21 days. So it's like a 21-day mm -hmm. cycle. And then the fly only travels so – like, they actually don't get blown around as much as you'd think. When the mm -hmm. wind's up, they go in the grass, and when it's down. So they only live within, like – they only go, like, 700 meters or something crazy. It's not that far. So if you follow the cow herd who's, who's peed and pooed and ate all this grass, and then you move them down the road – you know, you're moving, mm -hmm. you bring the chickens in five days later and they scratch through the manure and eat the flower larvae. Yeah. So it's, so back in the day when you read all these old journals, so you don't have to have all this cow oilers and different things to, well, to start affecting your cows. Right? Yeah. Biocides, yeah. right. You don't have to put them on them. Yeah. So they, there's, there's uh, Joel Salatin talks about, he reads um, like people that came here when there was nothing here. Yeah. The first explorers, the first the explorers, first, right. Yeah. When they came here, they, they wrote about herds of bison this one guy who was who was mm -hmm. mapping out the land so understood distances i think he said something like he seen a herd of bison that was like 10 miles long mm -hmm. and three miles wide yeah. and he said he was looking down from somewhere up about like a mountain or i don't know yeah. what he, he could see down at them he could not see ground between them so that's how tightly packed they were yeah. then he said there was a flock of birds flying behind them that was following them that so the story goes that when they flew over him, he couldn't see the sun for like several hours. Yeah. Like, so there'd be millions of birds, right? This is a natural system because the mm -hmm. foods follow the, or the, the, the animals follow the food that too. All that yeah. stuff. That's the first time white people were documenting that. Yeah. And which, now that's all gone. Which native people already knew. Thomas Jefferson famously instructed Lois and Clark that if they should see dinosaurs, he wanted specifically to know about that because nobody knew what was out there. They didn't know what they were going to see. No, they didn't know. And for all he knew, even Thomas Jefferson, he said, if you see anything like it, that would be a dinosaur. I specifically am interested in that. How scary do you think that was for those guys yeah. when they came over? They had no idea. And Imagine there, there was a dinosaur here. Yeah. 
like yeah that the native people are probably just hanging out with you know going, well, that's part of our that's part of our thing but we didn't yeah. know yeah like it's, if i had a time machine yeah. that's what i would do is go back to my place yeah it's so far back where it was just a you know a, a well, vast read, grassland read, see what read, it looked uh, like dan flores he was also on uh, joe rogan a couple times sure. he has it, two books one's called american serengeti yeah it's about the historical like twenty five thousand years plus back what was in north america and I should write that down. And it's also he wrote Coyote America, which oh, is about yeah. coyotes. Okay, I did listen to him. Yeah. He was fascinating. That was the first time I learned about coyotes, about basically why all these people that shoot them. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. They breed they, more. They just breed more and they yeah. just uh, re- kind of recolonize. Is that what you say? Yeah, because they do the old, uh, the, ro- the roll call. That's a howl at night. Yep. And if they hear everybody, then the birth rate drops. Yep. And if they start not hearing everybody, then the birth rate goes sky high. That's cool, eh? Yeah. And they'll always be there. And they're starting to come back into cities now. They're, yeah. they're, re, they're just taking over what was already theirs. Yeah. And humans are more casual about it now. We're just, you know. The coyotes at our place are insane. There's Do they so take your calves or anything? Do no. Do have big problems they, with that? They will. If, but most times what you see is they'll take one that's already, like, he's, he's either dying or dead. Yeah. And that's, but. Well, that's the thing, that's too. That's the, what would, they're doing, right? They would take coyotes and think, oh, they're killing cats and animals and stuff. And they kill a coyote and open it up and no, it's just they're eating rodents. That's yeah. what they're mostly eating. That's the seventy-five percent of what they have in them. I think probably if we stu- yeah, if we really studied it, they're a pretty useful. If we had predator. wolves around, they'd be chasing your cows down because Pe- that's what people that do have cows around wolves have a big problem. Yeah, because they're apex, well, they're apex predators like humans, yeah. so we compete. Yeah. And I don't know what the answer is there. Like that's where you're like forcing it. No, you just have to talk to the wolf. Yeah, and, and, and get to understand them, and he has to understand you. How and you have to explain. We're, look, we're using natural grasses. Yeah, we're, we're letting our pigs walk around. Go get chickens. the go get the guys down the road that are feeding yeah. them GMO just, crops. You know what? Tell a wolf that's antsy. Say, look, come hang out in our place. There's no flies. Yeah, yeah and yeah. you'll be like, what? No flies? All right. Well, I'm not there yet, right? Because I don't and have then, the I don't have the big flock of birds. <laughs> oh, you need the birds, yeah. Yeah. Which, okay. if somebody this, if I'll put this out here, if somebody's yeah. listening that really wants to get into free range laying hens, oh, I would yeah. love to bring that just like the bees. Yeah. Have the have somebody else. I get the benefit. You get the yeah. benefit. Yeah. You can use my land, and what I would do is probably buy the eggs off that person and sell them through Natural Manitoba. Exactly. And then yeah. we're he could be a small business owner. I would get the benefit of the fly control. Mm-hmm. And he would get the benefit of being have access to all this native grass. And you, and you could both write the scientific paper. <laughs> yeah, well, if we, <laughs> I've, I have reached out to a lot of scientists because I would yeah. love to do some work because yeah. we need to prove this stuff. Yeah, not that well, you I don't need the, to. You just, yeah, it's, it's, that's well, always the thing. If you need to prove it to certain people, then just I know. do it. They'll just do it, and, and you're much farther ahead. You're exactly right. We yeah. don't really need to prove it, but yeah. we do in a sense that like. I mean, some of this stuff is crazy the way people think we I, should I, live. I knew old timers that could uh, that could hold their drink in one hand, nod and agree with what you're saying. With the other hand, reach in their pocket, roll a cigarette with the one hand, yeah. keep the, the ashes in the cuff of their pants. Like yeah. they were self-sufficient, too. Yeah. And they just knew like they weren't worried about a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. And then a lot of guys came along with the chemicals and they all got started getting cancers and stuff. And. You know, and then, then we're right back to, like, you, with you guys. Get on a horse and go check your cows out. You know, yep. go do your stuff that way. It's, it, you know, we're all trying to save time, and we're not. Well, it's, you know, yeah, you it's, put in the time, and you end up saving time. It's strange. It's, it's just. It's crazy. Yeah. But, I like, that's the thing I like, like, about people. Farmers and, and ranchers are good people. They're just trying to feed their family. and they're, yep. I, Not everybody's a good person. I can't say that. But, I mean. 
generally they're just trying to make a living and it's but we need to kind of everyone needs to kind of just open up and we need to admit what we're wrong about yeah and and get over it and, just, and get over and it and kind of move on and yeah. and not defend these old practices and yeah. some of them i mean i could be completely wrong about lots of it and some of the stuff i read about could be wrong but mm. and i'm gonna be willing to admit that but i mean we need to we need to look at these systems and be like man they're not that old yeah like people say well but this we've been doing this for years but it's like in the grand scheme of things that you've been it's a blip on the radar yeah that you that it's been working and before that it the whole world was fed doing yeah. this this other way so we probably should lean towards that okay thank you so much to thomas for talking to us all about what they what they're doing out there naturally manitoba so um yeah get involved just get involved somehow look it up just google it understand it get out there get a little piece of land see what you can do to bring it back to uh something like it used to be because it's probably a lot healthier than what we're doing right now we gotta leave the soil alone leave it under there and learn to uh cohabitate with it and um yeah we'll get talking to some soil specialists down the way on some of our newer podcasts and we'll see what's going on with the uh the viability of soil farming hmm i wonder okay so uh that's us i'm mahangel this is mental bill podcast we are on uh, all the major uh, major media say media and major at the same time Majeja. we're on all the Majeja, the big three you can find us you can just search manitobaville if you're looking for a social media connection if you're uh, subscribing on the podcast awesome either way tell your friends get them to follow rate review subscribe all the fun things and um yeah tell your friends worldwide they might be just having a little bit of interest in what's going on here with some of the people we're talking to. Okay, so this is Mantoville Podcast, and it is copyright 2022 by Rodeo Road Studios. Mm-hmm.